0: Let's pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you again this morning. We are getting close to the end of our fall sermon series called Everyday Mission. Uh, It's been a really great time together. We just have a couple weeks left. Just a little refresher of where we've been uh, in case you've been a little in and out this fall or you just need a little refresher. We've been talking about Everyday Mission as, uh, as a concept that your mission is not someplace necessarily far away, but your mission is right now every day with the, peop- the places that God has, has has given you, the people God has given you, and the work that God has given you to do. We talked about who gets to go on this mission. We talked about how this is an all-ages affair here and that uh, our youth and children are part of this as well. We need to bless them and their everyday mission. We talked last week about the tools that we've been given for everyday mission, particularly the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that God doesn't just give us a, a toolbox or a manual or a 10 best practices, he gives us a person, and that person is the Holy Spirit who equips us. And it's been so encouraging to see how many of you have really taken a hold of this idea of everyday mission and begun applying it in your own life, in your own context. But there is this question that's sort of been looming over our conversation this fall that we need to address this morning. At the beginning of this series, I, I reintroduced you to our covenant missionaries that we support through our coordinated budget, and I... And I talked about the important work they do, but that how I used to always think that really the only people on mission were career missionaries growing up in the church, that, that was the message that came to me. I don't think anybody ever said that, but that's what I picked up, that the people who are really on mission are the people who followed that call to the ends of the earth. But I wanted to impress upon us that the, the mission field that we're called to every day is no less of a call. And I asserted that even our missionaries that we support, if they were here, uh, I I think they would all be giving a thumbs up, right? They'd be going, yes, we, we really affirm the everyday mission that you're called to. And I still think that's true, but it does leave us with a question that's sort of been hanging for a while, which is, what about missionaries? What are we supposed to do with missionaries? How are we supposed to understand global missions work? Uh, does the fact that we have a mission field right here every day in front of us diminish or negate the work that they are doing? How do we understand that? And, and just a disclaimer, this is sort of a tenuous line to, to walk right now. I mean, missions work and missionaries in particular are, are under a lot of scrutiny in the last couple decades in our world. The, the validity of short-term missions has been questioned by many as we kind of watch groups of of churches in matching neon shirts go and, and, and paint some building in some impoverished place while there are nationals from that place who are standing outside the building looking for work? Those are tough questions, right? I mean, the practices of international missions have been questioned, especially scrutinized in light of some of their colonialistic tendencies, practices that are clearly at odds with the national nature of Jesus Christ himself. And while it's true that the the actions of a few who maybe haven't thought through a missiology in a, in a complete way have adversely affected the spirit-filled ministry of the many who are faithfully and ethically serving Jesus around the world, we still need to recognize some of the quandaries that we as Western Christians have, have, have had to work through and, and have had missteps on throughout the world. Aside from all these ethical issues about missions, should the United States really even be sending missionaries out into the world when we have... Quite a few problems right here in our, own, in our own towns and cities and places. Did you know that the Christian church in South Korea sends more missionaries to the U.S. than any other place? There are tens of thousands of South Korean missionaries in the United States. Why? Because they see the United States as a modern Rome, a center of influence that is largely godless. So if the world is sending us their missionaries... Should we even be sending missionaries out to the world? These questions and these realities are hard for us to face, but it's good for us to do so this morning. But regardless of whatever misgivings we might have about missions, missions work, we cannot escape the missional nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. After his resurrection, before his ascension, Jesus outlines this global scope of mission. That's in Acts 1, verses 6 through 8. Here it is. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he replied, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what we call, what biblical scholars call, the Great Commission. We see this sort of inevitable, unstoppable, outward momentum towards the world, and we pick that up in Jesus' words. Jerusalem is central, right? That's sort of like home base, if you want to think about it that way. way, That's where they were. And then there's Judea, which is sort of the next region out. That's the yellow circle there. And then Samaria is even the next region, and then that leads eventually to the very ends of the earth. So as the gospel spreads through these local churches in the first century, it's almost like a rock being dropped in a pristine pond, right? You see these these ripples. It starts in Jerusalem, but those ripples will quickly travel to Judea, Samaria, and even the ends of the earth. And this is precisely how the book of Acts progresses. You could go home today, read the book of Acts this afternoon. It won't take you very long. and You're going to see how this progresses. By the end of the book, Paul is is under house arrest in Rome and he's writing to churches and he's trying to collect money so that he can go to Spain on which was quite literally the end of the earth in the first century. We cannot overlook the outward expanding missionary spirit of the great commission and missionaries are essential to that great commission. So if this is biblical, but we recognize some of the issues and we want to affirm our everyday mission, what are we to do? How do we, as a church, understand our everyday mission in light of this Great Commission? Well, this morning, I want to take a look at a really important church in the book of Acts that's going to help, I think, with some of these questions. The church is the Church of Antioch. Uh, It's located in the modern Turkish city of Antakya, and it was an incredibly important church in the first century. It's in Antioch that we get our text from this morning. I'm going to read it again for you. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a member of the court of Herod the ruler, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them, and they sent them off. First, just a little bit about this city where Antioch was located. Uh, Antioch is what is still a massive city. This is the modern city, um, but it was really massive in the first century. It was uh, half a million people. That might not sound so big to you, but it was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It was really big. And it was this eclectic mix of, of cultures and, and religions and ethnicities all sort of mashed together in this big city. It was diverse, it was religiously pluralistic, and, and most of the reason was because it was strategically located on this, this massive crossroads of the Silk Road and the Royal Road, which made it this essential hub for merchants and spice traders and, and people from all over the Roman Empire who were doing business. When this this city was built in the 4th century BC, several hundred years before this was written, it was actually constructed in two parts as a divided city. There was a massive wall that went through the middle of the city, a literal huge wall that kept Syrians and Greeks apart because they just could not get along with one another. By the time that Luke is writing the book of Acts, uh, that wall has mostly been demolished in the city. And we know of at least 18 distinct ethnic groups that are living within the city's boundaries. And these walls might have been taken down by the time of this writing, but the divisions that were in that place were still very, very active. And people kept to their own communities. It's not often like we might think about our urban cities where one block is this way and one block is this way. There were whole sections of the city where people didn't interact with any other section of the city. But in the midst of this remarkably diverse and divided city, Christianity takes hold. We have much to learn from the church in Antioch, but for this this morning, I want to point out just three important things that I think the church in Antioch models for us. And the first is this. The Antioch church fully embraces their own everyday mission in their city. It's here in Antioch that we get the first ever designation of the word Christian for people who are following Christ. It happens in Acts chapter 11. And and it happens that way presumably because these people who were following Jesus were difficult to categorize otherwise. In, In a place where people were very divided, where people kept to themselves, kept in their own sort of tribes, here was a group of people who didn't do that. They came together from all over the city, and they didn't define themselves based on their differences from other people. They defined themselves on following Jesus. So the gospel of Jesus and the history of the Holy Spirit had so changed their lives, their perspectives, that it sent them out into mission in their city. And they broke down the figurative dividing walls of their city, just as Jesus had broken down the dividing wall between our sin and God, between Jew and Gentile. So... The people in Antioch had no idea how to categorize this group. So they called them Christians. And these early Christians defied the cultural norms and standards of their society. They were a diverse group of people. They would not conform to the ways of the world. The church was being built not on a social agenda, but on the gospel of Jesus. Not with walls of division, but with embrace and acceptance. They understood what we've been talking about all fall, which is that God gave them a place, and God gave them people, and God gave them work to do so that they could live out their mission powerfully, being led by the Holy Spirit. And it led them to grow in number to the point where we would call it one of the first century megachurches. Not many of them, but this was one of the larger churches of the first century. So in many ways, Antioch is a great example in this for us, a great model for us, as we watch our cities become more diverse, more divided, more tribalistic, more pluralistic, is that all fair? I think so. We're experiencing so much of what the Antiochian church experienced. And isn't it encouraging in the midst of that 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 church didn't fold? They thrived. They thrived in that setting. It didn't stop those Christians from embracing their everyday mission, and the Spirit did remarkable things and transformed their city. Second thing to learn is that as the Antioch church lived out their everyday mission and followed the Spirit, their leadership became representative of their city. As the church is being built and as it's growing, these leaders begin to emerge, and we read about them in verse 1. And Luke tells us about five men in leadership, the leadership committee of five men who are almost as different from one another as you can imagine. Paul and Barnabas, they're both Jewish, but they didn't grow up in the center of Judaism in Palestine. Both were fluent in the Jewish language and and understood Jewish custom, but they also spoke Aramaic and Greek. They were Roman citizens. And then there's Menean. And what we know about him is he's this man who grew up with uh, incredible privilege and, and opportunity and education within the household of Herod Antipas. And next there's Lucius of Cyrene. He's from North Africa. And he probably arrived in Antioch in the midst of, of persecution in North Africa. And that's where he landed and he began to minister and reaching out to the, to the Greek people in that city. And then last, there was Simon, who was most likely a black African. This was the leadership team. Now, how diverse is that for a leadership team? Wouldn't that look good on a brochure to have them on front, right? But here's the thing, in our, in our world, where diversity is celebrated and, and desired in every institution and in every place, so often a diverse leadership that's, that's representative can be forced, it can be prescriptive, it can be just a, an exercise in meeting a ratio so we get to the right quotient and it looks good on a brochure. But the Antioch Church would have had no concept of this. They were diverse because their city was diverse. They were diverse because they were reaching out to their people, not because they had a diversity policy. This was a diverse leadership group, a diverse church for a diverse city. When we focus on everyday mission and we actively partner with the spirit, we are going to be more representative of our towns and our cities as well. And we will be a leadership for our people. God will bring about an increased diversity even amongst our numbers because God himself is diverse. Now you might feel like our neighborhoods here or maybe the neighborhoods where you live are not all that diverse, but did you know that DuPage County, the county that you are sitting in is an incredibly diverse county? 20% of the residents in DuPage County did not, were not born in the U.S. It's pretty amazing. I've watched our schools and our neighborhoods become increasingly diverse in every way. And friends, I just want to say, I think that's an exciting thing. I think it's a wonderful thing. The Spirit is moving, and as we follow the Spirit, He is going to equip us, provide for us, and help us to reach the diverse needs of our neighbors. The third thing to point out, this is the most important one today. The Antioch Church, while local and and representative, never loses sight of their call to global mission. Side of their call to global mission. Our text says that they were worshiping and fasting, and the spirit spoke to them. And the spirit said, send out Paul and Barnabas on mission, which they faithfully did. Okay, I have I have like a million fascinating things to say about this one sentence, uh, so I'm gonna try and contain my excitement here. First, the spirit speaks to the church. The Spirit speaks to the church. It doesn't say that Paul and Barnabas had a a really compelling mission proposal that they brought to the church. It doesn't say that they had a, a mission moment with a fish lunch afterward, even though we're really excited about that. That was not the model here on this day in Antioch. It says that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God spoke to the church, didn't speak to the pastor, didn't speak to the missions committee, as they were worshiping together, the, 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 the Spirit spoke to the people. And when did it happen? It happened when they were worshiping and fasting. And the Spirit says, send these two leaders out on mission. I so long for us to worship and fast like this, so earnestly and so vibrantly that the Spirit speaks to us. How amazing would it be if we started to look around and we were like, did you just hear what I heard? Is the Spirit speaking to you too? Can we confirm this with one another? Where's the Spirit moving? I long for that. And then the church was was faithful as the Spirit spoke to lay hands on these men and send them out. Crazy stat here. I'm not uh, great at math, but I did some math here. If my math is correct, 40% of the leadership team got sent out on that day. 40%. That is sacrificial that's generous. That takes trust and vision for a church to do that. And I want you to notice it's not the leftovers who get sent out. It's not the people that they didn't know what to do with. It wasn't the people that they don't like, right? This was the most gifted, capable, and mature leaders in the entire church. And they're the ones that get sent out on mission. Most importantly, Paul is the most important missionary in the history of the church. He's standing right in front of them. How easy would it have been for this church to to just kind of hang on to him, right? And say, you're not going anywhere. What, what, What do we need to make you comfortable here? But they didn't do that. They joyfully, willingly send him out with Barnabas. What if we as a church were in a regular practice of fasting and worshiping together and then identifying most mature, capable, and gifted people and intentionally sending them out on mission? Well, friends, we do do that. One of them is here with you. Keith is here with you this morning. Jonna and Fabio, Kathy, Stephen Barb, uh, Dale and Sarah, these covenant missionaries. I want to add to that some other mission mission partners, Stephen David and Shekhar Singh and, and Lynn Vogu and Joe Thackwell. These are some of our mission partners and these are some of the absolute best leaders that I know in the world. If they were in our church, if Keith was in our church, he would be leading in every single aspect of this church with dynamism, right? But God called him. God called each and every one of them. And they had a church that confirmed that call and sent them and said, we believe in your mission to the very ends of the earth. We will continue with our everyday mission here, but we bless you to go. So here's my challenge to us here today. Live out your everyday mission in obedience and faithfulness to Christ to the diverse, pluralistic, and divided society that you live in. But never lose sight of the Great Commission and bless those who discern this as their everyday mission call. I know a church that I respect that has a saying in regards to mission, they're very committed to missions, and they say it often. If you go there, you hear it. And they say, if you're a part of our church, you're either going or sending. You're either going or sending. In other words, you need to answer God's call to go to the ends of the earth or send people who have received that call. Only there there are no other options. You're going or you're sending. And they support over a dozen missionaries completely, fully, just in their church, which is pretty amazing. If I can nuance that powerful phrase for us here today in light of our sermon series, I would say, if you are a part of Hinsdale Covenant Church, you are called to go out every day into the mission that God has for you. And you should be partnering with those, sending out those who are going out to the very ends of the earth. My friends, like our Antioch brothers and sisters, let's embrace our everyday mission, and in doing so, become more representative of the diverse work that that God is doing all around us. And may our worship and fasting be so vibrant that the Spirit speaks clearly to all of us so that we might send out the best among us to the very, very ends of the earth. I thank God for the Antioch Church and may our church step into such a legacy as we live in the Spirit. Amen.